Are you ready to take your marketing and advertising game to the next level? Join us at Advertising Week Europe at Picture House Central in London this 16th to 18th of May. Gain unparalleled insights and inspiration from the industry's top minds and network with the biggest brands and agencies in a city known for creativity and innovation. With top industry leaders from brands like Primark, Arla Foods, Uber, and Heineken. Inspiring speakers including talent supremo Simon Cowell and fashion designer Harris Reed, as well as cutting-edge insights, this is your chance to stay ahead of the curve. From AI to brand insights to the latest in tech and everything in between, Advertising Week Europe has got you covered. Join us at Advertising Week Europe and discover why it's a must-attend event for anyone in the marketing and advertising industry at any level. Register now at advertisingweek.com slash Europe and use promo code AW25 for 25% off of your passes. Welcome to Great Minds, and this is a real pleasure to have Marla on with us today. Marla Kaplowitz is the president and CEO of the 4As. She has brought tremendous energy to the organization. Been about five or six years now, Marla. Coming up on six. Oh, my goodness. And uh, we first met when she was on the agency side uh, doing some great work and as part of the WPP family. Uh, but she's had a tremendous career. She brings such energy, focus, passion. Uh, I love your leadership team. Sharon on the on the board, I think, is just brilliant, and so many other people, and is really one of the people who is leading the industry forward in so many ways, tackling important areas. Uh, and working and leading the agency community, both creative and media, part of the global community. I know you and Paul Bainsfair are doing some great work to sort of join the world together on the agency side and uh, thrilled to correct a long oversight and finally have you here with us on Great Minds. So welcome, Marla. Thank you. I'm so happy to have this conversation with you, Matt. It's awesome. Awesome. So. Uh, we share a couple things in common. We both have academic backgrounds in sociology. And what I love about sociology is that it really helps teach you how to think and understand sort of how stuff works. I want to talk about your early tenure working at one of the great legendary shops, Amorati Puris Lintas. But can we start by reflecting on that early sort of academic foundation and what you remember from those early days uh, and sociology, a, a subject that I think doesn't get the respect it deserves. Uh, yes, I agree with you. So I started out actually pre-law, then quickly decided I was not going to go to law school, switched to communication studies and realized that it was very theory-based and it wasn't practical and noticed that I was taking a lot of sociology courses that I really enjoyed. And ultimately, for me, sociology is the study of people, and it's understanding their behavior and their motivations, their experiences. And it was, interestingly, a natural segue into media planning and really understanding targets and, again, people and identifying learnings and insights. And I still have a fascination with people, and I always put 
people first. To me, in an agency, you have people, product, clients. But if you don't really understand the people around you, both not just professionally, but personally, you don't understand what fulfillment means to them. You don't understand how to motivate them. And it connects to what I believe is the most critical human trait, which is curiosity. You need to be curious about the world, about people. And that also connects very closely, in my view, to creativity. So those early days, I actually started at DMBNB as an assistant media planner. You know, noticing a pattern here, DMBNB, Emirati Pierce Lintis, these agencies don't exist anymore. Uh, but I started full service. And then in the late 90s, as agencies were taking their media departments and splintering them off and creating media-only entities, that's when I went back to DMBNB to MediaVest and continued on in my career. But um, yeah, Emirati was a fantastic place to be for the three years that I was there. And I, I so appreciated the connections that I made there, the businesses that I was exposed to. That was the early days of the internet. And I was on the UPS business and we were getting people to stop calling the 1-800 number and to actually check the website because it actually saved money, but it was also more of a utility that you were offering for the consumer. So I love the, the understanding back to sociology of what are the consumer needs, those behaviors that you're trying to fulfill. Fantastic. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and I credit that academic background I had. And I also was planning on going to law school. My uh, school was Emory. And Emory produced doctors and lawyers like they were, uh, you know, chocolates coming off an assembly line at the Cadbury factory. And I remember sitting with my advisor and saying, well, why do you want to go to law school? Do you want to be a lawyer? And I said, well, not really. He said, so how come you want to go to law school? I said, because I'm not good in science. And it was a conversation that simple that said, well, maybe I don't want to do either. Maybe I want to just go get a job. And I was literally the only one of my group of friends who was not a doctor or lawyer. I'm the, the, bu the bum of the lot. But I, I loved, uh, love sociology, and I think you're absolutely right about people. And uh, I want to get to talent and something that we did together with you at MEC. But let's stay, let's stay where we are for a moment. As the business has evolved, a lot of great brands and agency brands in particular, I'm referring to, have disappeared. My first chair when I was running the sports commission when I was 23, so I'm 58 now, I can't do that math, but it was a long time ago, was chair of what was then called Saatchi and Saatchi DFS Compton. The DFS was Dancer Fitzgerald Sample. And you mentioned DMBNB, you mentioned, um, we talked about Amirati Puris. Talk about some of those early shops. I know they're in the forays archives and I'm sure there's all kinds of historic stuff, but the business has changed, but there was a little bit more romance, I think, if you go back and look at that period of time and a lot of those great iconic brands. Well, today, depending upon what stat you believe, there are over 13,000 agencies in the U.S. So if you go back to that time, there were hundreds of agencies or maybe low thousands. There, there weren't quite the volume of agencies. Uh, it's a lot easier to start your own agency today with technology and you, you've got people who have a real entrepreneurial spirit. So those names, like any business, are going to change. It's just like if you look at the Fortune 50 today versus the Fortune 50 from 
40 years ago. It's it's always going to evolve. And I think that's what's so exciting. There are industries that we don't even know that are going to exist a decade from now. And AI is going to be really interesting to see, okay, well, what new jobs are going to happen as a result of that. So to me, looking back, yes, there are the legends and either they evolve into new entities or they morph in new ways, but it's exciting to see new players come about because it also shows the vibrancy of the industry to take people and to get them to say, you know what, I'm going to actually start something because I have an idea and I have a way that I think I can differentiate. Fantastic. And and, and I love how where you took the question. It, it is a low barrier to entry business. And it's a growth business. It's an exciting business. And uh, uh, I, I, I know you well enough to know that your uh, optimism is limitless. And uh, I'll use the word effervescent. And it's infectious, Marley. It, it really is. Uh, so let's stay just for a little while longer with that early part of your career. You end up as a planner, you end up working with some great, great shops. Any mentors or great minds that you look back on who really helped shape you as you were just coming out of university and, you know, starting your journey? Yes, I had the great fortune when I was a media planner, uh, at the early days working on brand PNG brands like Pampers and Crest work for a wonderful woman named Liz Menges. And she and I reconnected recently. And it was so great just to tell her how much she meant to me back in those early days, someone who believed in me, who, even if she didn't agree with my idea, supported me, made sure that I had exposure to senior level people and encouraged me in the right way. And you need those people along the way. I also was really fortunate to have client partners that were terrific. I worked with a wonderful leader named Cindy Tripp, who is at P&G, and just was direct and candid, but also a real partner in the work that we were doing to really shift P&G into communications planning and to evolve the brands and the marketing approach they were taking. And I have so many others, uh, and I think Probably more recently, I would say Charles Cordier, who was my boss at MEC for over five years and was a terrific leader and supporter of me. And that is what you need in a mentor, but you need someone who's going to believe in you in the good times and the bad times and to acknowledge when you've had a failure and just to help you get back up and move on and know that there are new opportunities that are going to await you. Fantastic answer and, and some great, great iconic names. And early on, you were put on sort of the most important pieces of business. When you were uh, working at SMG, Proctor was the biggest client. You played a key role in growing that business. What do you think it was about you? This is sort of a leading question, if you will. But seems like early on, your bosses recognize, hey, she's got something. I can give her my most important thing, and she'll take care of it. I demonstrated a desire early on to take on more. I was always willing to do more, to learn. I was hungry to learn. And I had a real commitment to getting ahead, as a lot of people did in their 20s. And I was very ambitious. And I had an understanding that working on different types of businesses was just going to help me grow and propel my career. 
And I was just fortunate to work with some really incredible people who gave me those opportunities because you can make your own luck, but you also need people to help you along the way. I was fortunate early in my career to recognize that I should follow the opportunity and the experience and that the money would follow. So I didn't chase money. I chased opportunity. And I think that really benefited me. And I was fortunate to spend 14 years of my career working on Procter & Gamble businesses. I always say I got my MBA by virtue of working on incredible brands. And to your point, to be trusted with being a partner, having the opportunity to lead teams was a wonderful gift and something that I think agency agency life really affords you. Fantastic answer. You rise up the ladder quickly. You're not even 40, you're EVP and MD of MediaVest. Um, at some point you get recruited to MEC. I want to hear how you went from one to the other, but you have interesting perspective. And I know that leading the four A's that, you know, you're Switzerland, that you love them all, but you have real perspective working with the publicist family and then the WPP family. Um, talk about that rise, how they grew you. I've heard many people talk about, you know, the ultimate education when you work for one of the great packaged goods companies, whether it was Kraft General Foods back in the day or Procter & Gamble or Unilever, un ultimate training ground. But talk about that rise up pretty young age to a pretty big position in the publicist family at MediaVest. I was fortunate. I'll go back to DMBNB. They had one of the best media training programs around. And I knew that at the time. And I was so fortunate to go through that experience. Uh, Janine Shao Collins was my partner on that team, which is great. She now is at Cargo. And I got so many opportunities to really advance. So within SMG and being at Publicis, it was the ultimate responsibility running the P&G comms planning assignment. I did that for many, many years. And you get to a point, at least I get to a point, I'm a fix-it person. I like to go in and fix things. I tell people I'm not a status quo leader. I need to be iterating and evolving. And I like taking on new challenges. And so I had an opportunity, Group M had reached out and I was having a conversation. And I was at a point in my career where I was thinking about, what do I do next? And I had the opportunity to go to MEC and it was a promotion to take on a president role of US clients as well as planning. And I went in and it was the best time to go and assess the agency, see what was happening. And I had seven months before I became CEO. And in many ways that gave me a front row seat to what I could see as opportunities stepping into the CEO role. And that was a terrific opportunity for me. And I will tell you, I did not go there thinking I'm going there to become CEO. On the contrary, I did not think of myself as someone who was going to be a CEO. I did not want to think about that. I said, I'm going to be a president. And when the CEO role came about, I was really encouraged that I was already doing a big role. Yes, my kids were young, but that I would have support and that these opportunities don't come around a lot. And I needed to jump in and do it. And once I got into the world, I realized, you know, it's 
pretty nice to be in charge because you get to try new things and you're not, they're not always going to work, but you get those opportunities. And it really fed that ambitious side of me to continue to learn and grow and back to evolving things. And so that's what really kept me there for six years. Fantastic run. And you turned the business around. You also really injected a spirit of entrepreneurship into the business. Where does that come from, Marla? Does that come from your parents? Did you work as a kid? You've got that real self-starter. Nobody needs to tell you what to do. You're ready to go. You're a north-south mover. But where do you think that DNA strand comes from? My dad was an entrepreneur, so he started different businesses. He was in sales. I started working at 14 as a babysitter, started working after school and in the summer once I was 16 as a cashier at a little Hallmark store, uh, worked mostly through college, always have enjoyed working. I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. But you're right. I'm very much a self-starter and... I don't need a lot of people to motivate me. I'm fairly motivated on my own. And I always see opportunity and I get very excited. My team has to remind me that the bandwidth is only so wide and we can only do so much because I get really motivated by ideas. And especially in my role at the forays, I see like limitless opportunity out there. How do we reinforce the value of agencies? How do we improve what issues are happening in the industry? And that's incredibly exciting for me. And it honestly is what keeps people at the forays. Uh, starting from, you know, how do we add value to our members and how do we move the industry forward? That's what people are motivated and thinking about every day. We first met, uh, I think Marie Claire Barker was with you and Lindsay and you had some great, great people. Uh, and we did something at Advertising Week back when we were in Times Square around talent. Yes. Uh, and I remember something was built on the street in Times Square that we did with so you. So we decided to really upend the interviewing process. And I give Marie Claire Barker, who's now global head of talent at Group M, so much credit. And Lindsay Yoselevitz, who was our head of marketing, communications, and events. She's we, love, we, at, we still love Lindsay. Is yeah, she at, where she's is she now? At Y and our commerce. Right, right. right we now love her. Yeah, we love her. Global head of marketing. So they have this idea to really think differently about the interview process because the number one pain point for entry-level people interviewing is it takes so long to go through the interview process and it takes so long to find out if you got the job. So we decided to use Advertising Week since you are so wonderful and always attract a lot of students and young people to Advertising Week to put space on the street. It was like before the street sheds existed, we had a nice tent and we created an interview team where we were going to, instead of speed dating, we were going to speed interview candidates and you could sign up in advance, but you could also show up right there in the moment and we would interview you. And we had our global CEO, Charles Cordier, myself, we picked a whole cross section of people across the agency from more junior to mid-level to senior. And we had our wonderful MEC Don't Just Live Thrive shirts, which was our mantra. And we did one hour interviews where you would get 
15 minutes with four people. It would just be rapid fire. You'd get their resume. And at the end of interviewing a series of people, we would get together and we would sort of vote yay or nay. And by the end of the day, we made offers to a group of people and it was fantastic. And they loved the whole experience. And what we were trying to also demonstrate is you can do these things differently. And we loved it so much that we also took it to South by the following year and did something very similar at that event. I think it was called the live hire. Is that what it was called? Yes. Thank you for remembering that. Yeah, I was trying go. to remember. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And, and that crystallizes around an issue, which I know is higher on your agenda at the four A's, the issue of talent. Going back to the origin and the very beginning conversations, uh, with Ken Case and Keith Reinhardt, who's still around, who I just had lunch with, and uh, and uh, your uh, predecessor, uh, Bert Strake, one of the issues that was an impetus for Advertising Week was a concern, I'll use that word, around talent, and that the industry on the whole was not attracting as much young talent as it may have been at another point in history, and that the talent that was coming in was not reflective of all the fabric of America. Talk about what you're doing today as we jump to the present, where talent sits on your agenda, and give us a state of the universe. How do you think we're doing uh, as it relates to recruiting young people uh, and not just people who are the same color as you and I, but Black, Hispanic, Asian, really reflecting the whole breadth and scope of the American fabric, the quilt, if you will, as we move towards an America that's getting pretty close to being 50% non-white. So I'm glad you asked this because talent is the beginning and end of everything, right? We have to start with the people. And when I came to the forays, I was very fortunate that there were some strong programs in place. So there was already a relationship with high schools in New York City. And we also had the Multicultural Advertising Intern Program known as MAPE, which I am so proud to say is celebrating 50 years this year. And we'll be celebrating at a big gala on Monday, October 23rd. So more to information to come on that. But we have over 4,000 alumni that have gone through that program. Now, that's terrific. We were bringing in more diverse talent. What we also recognize is that we need to, to address the inclusion aspect because a lot of these wonderful people were coming into our business and they were hitting kind of that mid-level ceiling and they were not seeing people that look like them in leadership roles. And they were questioning, well, who's my mentor? Who's going to really help me along? And that's where we created a MAPE Summit. But we also recognize that there's a lot more work that needed to be done in that area. So we have also started other programs like Vanguard, which is our mid to senior level Black professional training program. But it's also really focused on the organization and getting senior leaders to understand how to evolve talent into the C-suite. And we're going to be rolling out another program towards the Latinx, toward the end of the year for the Latinx community. But there's so much around talent that needs to continue to be done. So I'm talking specifically about our foundation programs, but we have a learning institute that's helping with learning and development. We've partnered, Matt, on a couple of things in that area. There is so much more that needs to be done in this industry. 
how are we doing? Well, we, we've made some progress, but we are about to publish the latest diversity survey. There still are a number of agencies that are uncomfortable sharing that data. And I do want to say diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging is not about stats. It's not just about looking at your composition. It's about how you run your business and it has to come from the top down. But it is important for you to understand where you're at in order to evolve. And so this industry, I worry that what happened a few years ago which I really thought we were starting a movement has sort of become a moment and we need to get back to it being a movement. We need to make sure that there's accountability for programs and commitments that not just agencies, but companies put in place to really evolve not only the talent, but the senior leadership, the equity piece, the inclusion piece. That is so critical and I will say every agency is on a different path along that journey, but you need to make sure that you're not just talking about it, that you are actually committing and investing money to further this. Because we hear it from a lot of the DEI leads at the agencies, some of their budgets are going away, or maybe the commitment isn't there. It's, it's very mixed and want to make sure that the focus remains where it needs to be, which is on evolving where we're at as an industry. And that will only happen if we collectively do this. I love that you're also launching something focused on the Latinx community, which is actually larger part of the population than the Black population. We did something last year at Advertising Week with Bing Chen and Goldhouse and did an event. There's one big old place left in Chinatown, the Golden dragon, I think it was called. And we had a dinner about 250 people from the API community, which gets ignored completely in the conversation. So yeah, yeah. I asked, is it AAPI or API? I was told both are acceptable, but I'm not really sure about that. All right, let's, let's, let's stay where we are because it's such a uh, important topic. So I, I remember early on, this goes back 20 plus years. When we first started, there was some civil rights litigation out of the mayor's office uh, about the industry and systemic racism and hiring practices. And I remember just being in the room when some of those conversations were being held. And my remembrance of that period is there was as much conversation about what do we need to do to avoid getting in trouble as there was around what do we need to do to correct a problem. And you alluded to it that some of the budgets are not there. I think everybody, and you still read about it uh, uh, almost on a regular basis, some prominent person in the industry, typically a woman 40, 42 years old, gets hired as a senior vice president of diversity, equity, inclusion. Remember when Tiffany got the job at Sony, you know, and there's a series of press releases like that. Do you sense the industry on the whole, and this is really more a commentary about business in general in America, not just the agency business. As a business leader, you have the benefit of perspective beyond your industry. Do you think that we're taking it seriously? Or is it just something that you sort of need to do because it's of the moment and people are looking now? 
I do believe people are taking it seriously. You, you raised two questions. The real question that people are asking is, how do I ensure that my business is diverse, that it reflects culture, that it reflects society? Uh, because not only is that the important thing to do and recognizing what we need to do for talent, but it's also proven that it's good for business. You need diversity of perspective and experience, and that's across all different types, whether that's race, ethnicity, age, gender, sexual orientation, faith, all of these different neurodiversity, you need to bring all these different people in. And that's how you get, uh, I was taught to believe in whole brain thinking, and you need people that bring different parts to really round that out. No creative business, whether you're a PR agency, media, core creative, no business in the focus of creativity can deliver that without true diversity and it's core to everything we do. So people are taking it seriously. I think the challenge is not always understanding how to deliver against that and how to empower the right people in the organization to help drive it and make sure that there's accountability against it because people are typically going to deliver on what they are accountable for. Absolutely true. You said something earlier that uh, I think warrants going back to the growth of the industry, 13,000 some odd agencies, I think was the number that you cited. Presumably that's a blend under the holding company, the big, the big players, but a lot of independents that have- Oh, and just kind of small mom and pop, like, right, small, few people, shops, yes. Do you think that the, the evolution of the business as more and more grassroots shops evolve, uh, and I guess one client, you're in business, right? I know a lot of folks, black community, Latin community, Asian community, who have started little independent shops. My friend Kwame Taylor Hayford at Kin, one of the Saturday morning founders, they're doing great work. MailChimp, a lot of, lot of clients. Delta, I think, is one of his. Uh, I, I think there's a great future for people that really reflect all of America in, in our business. What do you see between the big shops, the small shops, the medium shops, the startups? We see growth overall, but are you seeing growth that really tying back to what we've been talking about that reflects all of us? I am seeing growth that reflects a broader group. And what's interesting for us is half of our membership comes from holding company, networked groups. The other half are independent agencies. Uh, there's a lot of growth in those independents. And if you look at the holding companies, they're still acquiring a lot of those companies, right? There's still a lot of growth out there and everyone's looking to expand into new areas and new capabilities. And that's where I think there is tremendous opportunity. And I understand why someone who is a person of color and does not feel themselves seen in a, in a business or in an agency would go out and start their own and would wanna actually create on their own. And that's why it's important to recognize that. It's important to give people opportunities uh, and to continue to invest and to recognize that you're losing out on great talent. And if you don't 
help them, they're going to figure it out for themselves and good for them for starting their own businesses. And we need to help make them successful too. And that's why at the four A's, we have something called the incubator program where any agency that's in their first two years of starting out, we have a very specific program. We want to help them succeed. We want to help them grow. Fantastic stuff. So let's really dig into what you're doing at the four A's, but start with how'd you get there? I know there was a process to recruit a new leader, but that was a big leap. You're generally speaking, the old way of looking at a trade group would be, it was sort of a retirement job for someone. You were far from retirement, really vibrant, leading a successful operation, turned around MEC, uh, and you make this leap. Tell us about the journey to get there. Sure. And Michael Casson will want me to make sure I say that MediaLink did the recruitment of me for this, for this search. So I was at the point where I hit five years as CEO at MEC. We had, while you say successful, we had just lost our largest client. There was a full service review. So that was disappointing. But I had been in the role for five years. There was a lot of change going on. And the recruiter reached out about this Foray's role. I knew Nancy Hill was leaving. And I said, I'm not interested in that. And they said, okay, but please look at the job description. Let us know if anyone comes to mind. And I looked at the job description and there were eight criteria. And I re- I'll never forget the first one said dynamic change agent. And I was like, ooh, do they really want someone to come in and drive change? That's interesting. I was part of the media leadership council. I had one perspective of the Foray's. And this was also at an interesting time. It was amidst the challenges that were going on around media transparency. And I was very engaged in that conversation. So I had a lot of thoughts from an industry perspective. And I realized I had such passion for the agency business. And this was an opportunity where I could take that and push it out broadly to the entire industry. And I met with the recruiters initially thinking, well, maybe they have some other things they're working on. And I left the meeting completely convinced that this was a great opportunity back to, I like to go in and drive change and evolve any kind of team or organization. So I then was very focused on this is the job I want and went through the process. And there were eight members of the board that were the search committee and ended up getting selected, which I am incredibly grateful for because this has been a terrific experience. And to your point about trade associations, maybe there's this perception that people go and it's their last job. I was very clear to the interviewing committee. I I told them, I said, this is my next job. I will stay three to five years. Now I'm coming up on six. I'm signed up through seven. So it's working. Hopefully it's working for everyone, but I have really enjoyed it. And I am so pleased with the progress and the impact that we are making and the team that we've built. There's incredible people who are so passionate about our members. So it it was an interesting way of getting here, but it's also a reminder of don't think you know what you really want. You should always be open to exploring opportunities and really listening and thinking about what works for you and what you're good at and where you can apply those skills in a new way. Great story and, and great lessons to be learned. 
it's a challenging job you have managing a member supported organization. There's a big internal facing piece to it. There's a big external facing piece to it. Is there one particular part of the gig, Marla, that you really love and one part that maybe you don't love as much? Anyone who tells you that there's a part of their job that they, that they love all parts of their job doesn't understand what is really motivated, right? We, we all know what we're really good at and what we enjoy. So the part that I enjoy the most beyond working with a team, because I very much get my energy from working with the team, I so enjoy meeting with members and helping members and partnering in the industry and really helping to advance the work that we're doing. Like we're doing, a, Bob Leodice has been a fantastic partner. We do so much, our organizations together to really help move the industry forward. We're working right now on agency search simplification. Like we're taking these big meaty issues that have existed for a while and saying, let's try and tackle them together. And that's productive. And to me, that's very rewarding. Um, looking at members who give us this feedback, seeing the value of what we bring as part of the membership, of the, whether it's the work that we're doing in Washington or the work from the foundation or the talent team or our business intelligence and insight team, just across the board, our research team, everybody is contributing in some way. And we, we keep talking about how do we really describe that value? Because in many ways, we always say, well, the cost of membership is almost like an employee, but they have a broad skill set and you get a little bit of everything. And that's true. You get access to people who've had very senior roles in agencies and have tremendous experience and know how to bring the community together. So for me, this has been a fantastic experience. I sit on a number of the nonprofit industry boards. That's been really eye-opening for me. So I am truly grateful for this experience. That's why I continue to stay and be passionate about it. And which part don't you like as much? Oh yeah, I forgot to answer that. That's okay, I? yeah. I don't, listen, I don't like when the industry gets criticized unnecessarily. Uh, it's challenging when I believe we are doing good and having impact. And I I know I can never please every member. So listen, we're going to get the criticisms. And I don't even view it as criticism. I view it as feedback. And I always want to know, okay, how am I going to turn that person around? How are we going to take this seriously? I sometimes will focus too much on here are all the things that are not working or going well, how do we course correct for that? And you have to figure out how to filter the noise and focus in on the majority. But those are the parts that are, you know, they're uncomfortable. And, and I've had some stressful, uncomfortable moments, but that's what you sign up for in a senior role. And I'm very fortunate that I've been in many sticky situations and I know I'm going to get through them and I've got a team and people supporting me as well. Great answer. And we all absorb some blows uh, when you're in a leadership position. So I certainly uh, appreciate that. Talk about what you found when you got there. It's about six years. The landscapes evolved tremendously. Nobody was talking about AI six years ago. The streaming world as it exists today was in its infancy. Uh, we just did an event in Los Angeles uh, around the convergence of the entertainment business, the brand world, and the streaming world. That was not an event we could have done five years ago. The business didn't exist. 
right. you've seen a lot. Talk about reflections of where we were when you got there, day one at the forays, where we are now, and how your priorities and agenda has evolved. Yeah, it's changed so much. And I, I think I've been fortunate that my career was in media, which just constantly was evolving and changing. And that's honestly what kept me motivated and excited. So six years ago, coming into the forays, it takes time when you come into the organization. I, I had to learn so much about what we do. We have a whole benefits group. I realized that I was at WPP and Publicis and Forays Benefits was providing my workers' comp. We have 160,000 people in the U.S. on our Forays Benefits workers' comp. That's a lot of people. But again, these, these things that we don't always get out there. So when I think back to where I started and where we're at now, I, I can give credit to so many different people in terms of evolving, not just how we identified the value proposition for membership and how we reinforce that value with creating things like a member value report, but I look at the industry and how it's evolved. To your point, uh, we were starting to talk about brand safety, and I, I give Lewis Jones so much credit. He was running our media and data team at the time and said, let's create this advertising assurance forum. And we had this forum. We brought together 100 people across the industry and created the Advertiser Protection Bureau out of that, where we brought agency representatives together to talk about brand safety and suitability and created the first brand safety floor in the brand suitability framework that later was embraced by GARM and has evolved into a global framework. That came together because the agency community focused on collaboration over competition and recognized this need. And we will continue to see those opportunities and to identify them. Ashwini Karandakar, who leads our media tech and data team today, she is focused in on everything happening right now with multi-currencies. And we just did some research with SIM and ANA that was led by Deloitte. Again, we weren't talking multi-currencies six years ago. It was a Nielsen world. And now we've got iSpot and so many others that are coming into play. So what I think is so important about six years ago versus today is it's never slowing down. We all feel like we're living Moore's law every day in terms of the speed and the exponential pace that we're all dealing with, but that makes it exciting. But it's also a reminder that complexity is not going away. And what agencies do so brilliantly is they help simplify the complex and they also understand how to learn about all the evolving technology and how to apply it, not just through a marketing lens, but through a business lens. Absolutely fantastic answer. And you referenced some of the people, but one of the things I've observed you do is you have really brought in tremendous talent into the four A's and you've reshaped the organization, really elevated the caliber of the talent. And that's to your credit. Well, I will tell you what I'm most proud of is that, and I'm not sure, we have agencies coming and taking our talent. So that is a real sign of the caliber of the talent. But we also have people that came to the forays that had never worked in an agency who learned about the agency business and then now go and work at agencies. And so I love it because there are ambassadors and they go and they tell everyone how 
the work of the forays can really help the business, how much value it provides. And so we have our own ambassadors going back. And to me, that's wonderful. I tell people all the time, come to the forays. You don't come spend time here, make your mark, build your brand, and then go back out into the agency world and continue to evolve and grow. Yeah, it's a great measure of a leader. And I, I, I feel the same way. I'm never so proud as when somebody who worked for us here ends up doing great work somewhere else. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's a great compliment. So you signed up for another year. Talk about what's on your priority list looking forward for 23 and 24 as we start to wrap this great, great conversation, Marla. I'm so, I'm so glad we did this. There's never a shortage of areas that we need to focus in on. So we are going to continue to focus in on business transformation. We have a lot of work happening around agency operations, uh, creating five different playbooks around how to think about automation and AI and the work within your agency. We're continuing to partner on agency search simplification. So we have a survey that will be coming out in May. Uh, that we co-did with the ANA on the cost of pitching, because we talk a lot about how much money is won, but no one really understands what is the true cost of pitching and how that's having an impact. Working on alternative compensation models with the ANA, continuing to work to address data privacy that seems to be happening more at the state level and work that needs to continue there. There's going to continue to be a focus on talent and new programs coming out, not just from our foundation, but new training from our learning institute. And we are just going to hear our feedback from our members and continue to evolve. We do something every January called the look ahead, which gives people a little bit of a look back, but really about here are the areas that we're focused in on for this year. And then technology is going to continue to have such a big impact and really making sure that our members understand the implications of that, both from a legal ethical side, as well as a marketing and business side is going to be important. So I'm just touching on a few, but there's, there's always so much. No, no, no shortage of things to do. And uh, I can't thank you enough for doing this. An absolute joy, Marla, and every success going forward. And I'm sure we'll, you know, get to keep doing stuff together, which is great for us. And I hope, you know, great for you. Yeah, this was terrific, and I always enjoy speaking with you, and I appreciate all the homework you did. There you go. All right. Take care, Mala. Bye.